Welcome to Shuva Full Circle. I'm Emmett Gillis. And I'm Rivka Alexandra Gillis. We're a Belshuva couple, or BTs for short. That means we're Torah observant Jews who didn't grow up this way. As we've begun our family, we're exploring what it means to integrate our yeshiva and seminary learning into daily life. We've seen some of the challenges BTs like us face as they build new lives in the religious world. In each Shuva episode, we'll ask our guests to unpack the nature of BT integration and how to make it work in practice. We'll cover observant life across different stages. And of course, we'll share some relatable BT moments. You know the ones I'm talking about. Our goal is to develop a healthy BT perspective at each stage. And toward ourselves, to integrate our learning with our lives. It's a holy journey, and we're grateful to be on it with you. This series is dedicated in memory of Ita Baschanaich Aaron. May we soon merit the coming of Mashiach and reunite with all those who are so, so dearly missed. Amen. Rabbi Yassi Paltiel is a sought-after teacher and mentor with a gift for communicating his passion for Torah and Judaism. He is the founder of InsideHasidus.org, an online resource for studying Hasidic philosophy, focusing on the text and original sources. Rabbi Paltiel teaches at United Lubavitcher Yeshiva, Machla Yehadas, and the base Midrash Lenashim at 770. His classes weave together classic commentaries, Jewish law, history and philosophy, personal stories, and a deep knowledge of Hasidus and Kabbalah in a manner that is intellectually challenging, yet heartwarming. It's our honor to have Rabbi Paltiel as our guest on this episode of Shuva Full Circle, in which we'll discuss the Rebbe's perspective on the integration of newcomer Bali Tshuva into the Crown Heights community and Chabad more generally. Welcome, Rabbi Paltiel. Hello. Thank you for having me, and uh, I'm honored to be here. We want to hear from you about the Rebbe's approach to Bal Tshuva integration. By integration, we mean adjusting to religious life in a healthy way, a way that translates into marriage and parenting, career, and communal life. We're interested in your perspective from growing up, living, and teaching in Crown Heights, which is a long-time destination for Chabad Bali Tshuva. So let's start with a basic question. To your knowledge, did the Rebbe ever publicly address Balichova as a group? And if not, why do you think perhaps the Rebbe might have chosen not to do so? I'm going to allow myself to say something that you did not mention in your question at the outset, and then I'll get to your question. And that is, the Balichova were extraordinarily important to the Rebbe. They were deeply important to the Rebbe. The Rebbe loved them. He embraced them. He celebrated them. And I think in a very real way, the presence of the Balichuva was, in the Rebbe's own mind, a measure of his own success. I'll tell you an incredible story that's well corroborated, that a while before the stroke, literally weeks or months prior to his stroke, the Rebbe was in his own room, and there was a Jew there whose name was Shalom Gansberg. He's Baruch Hashem alive and well. Shalom Gansberg was the closest thing to a family member that the Rebbe had. He lived in the Rebbe's house for many years. And even after the Rebbe's had passed, he continued living in the Rebbe's house. And the Rebbe was pacing his room. The Rebbe was not much of a pacer. The Rebbe was pacing his room, and he said to himself, I was born on a Friday. People born on a Friday never finish what they start. What have I accomplished? Imagine the Rebbe said that in the winter of 92. He didn't say it to anybody in particular, but Sholem was there, and he felt like the Rebbe needs, something has to be said. So he told the Rebbe, how could the Rebbe say, what have I accomplished? The Rebbe made so many badly children. And the Rebbe immediately said, yeah, that's true. And he was satisfied with that. So there is a book of Shalom Gansberg's recollections, which is called Bakoydesh Pnima. It's a Hebrew book. And that book has notes 
of the, the former Rav Akfar Chabad, Rav Mardukha Shmuel Ashkenazi, was a great Gon and great scholar. And in the footnote on this story, he says that the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, whose name was Menachem Mendel also, the Tzemach Tzedek, asked a similar question as a rhetoric in the later years of his life. And the person there started giving all kinds of suggestions. You read many Chedushi Taira, you said a lot of my modem, and Tzemach Tzedek wasn't satisfied until this person said that Rebbe made many Bali Tshuva. And the Tzemach Tzedek said, yeah, that's true, I made many Bali Tshuva. The Alta Rebbe, once said to his son, the Mitla Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, said to his son, the second Chabad Rebbe, that you cannot compare me to my Rebbe, my Rebbe meaning the Maggid of Mizrich. The Rebbe had nish gemach kembali tshuva, ichav doch gemach kembali tshuva. My Rebbe, the Mizrich Maggid, was the Rebbe of Tzadikim. He made no bali tshuva. I made bali tshuva, and for the Rabbeim, the phenomenon of a bali tshuva is incredibly deep and personally important. The tombstone of the Rebbe has far fewer words than the average tombstone of the average person. One of the few things written on the Matseva is the words of Rabbi Meishem He brought many people back from sin. The Rabbeim saw the idea of tshuva and the phenomenon of the Baal tshuva as personally, deeply important, deeply important to their mission. It was true of all the Rabbeim and our Rebbe. I, I can't tell you this as a matter of fact, but without saying it as a matter of fact, I can say it as a matter of fact. To him, the presence of the Baal Tshuva and people who turned their entire lives around, getting married and having children and become integrated in the community, was extremely near and dear to the Rebbe's heart. I understand from pretty strong evidence that the Rebbe would have integrated the Balachuvah to the community in the kind of way where they would not in any way be a distinctive demographic. The Rebbe did not want a separate Balachuvah shul. The Rebbe didn't even want separate Balachuvah schools. When the Balachuvah first appeared in our community, boys and girls, they went into regular yeshivas. They went into 770 and learned. And the girls went to Bishifka and learned. And within a year or two or three, you couldn't tell them apart from the so-called FFBs from, from births. They integrated completely, they married, they became part of our community. The Rebbe did not want a distinct Balchuva community. And when they first made the Balchuva Yeshiva in the 60s called Hadar Toira, the justification was that they made it in the women's section of 770 so that the Balchuva boys were very close to the 770 boys. If the Rebbe would have had it his way, they would have never developed a distinct Balchuva culture. The reality is that there is a distinct Balchuva culture, the distinct Balchuva schools and shuls, and I think that it has to do with our limitations. In other words, I don't think it's something that the Rebbe would have preferred. It happened because we, that means the Chabad family and community, were not open enough or equipped enough, let's be kind, to completely integrate mass numbers of Balchuva. When the Balchuva movement was small, they integrated, but as the number of Bachuva became more and more, it became impractical to integrate them, so they became separate. So when you ask, why did the Rebbe not speak publicly about the demographic of Balichuva, the Rebbe was completely colorblind. There was no such thing as the Balichuva in his mind. They were from Jews. They were Jews, period. And uh, I mean, today in Lubavitch, among second generation of Balichuva, you don't even know. <laughs> who's a child of Balchuva anymore? And I think this is how the Rebbe would have wanted it. Uh, in a perfect world, the interface between the traditional Anash and the Balchuva would have made everybody better. The Balchuva would have been better because they were around people who knew custom and tradition, especially about such things as home and family and relationships. 
and the Anna should have been better because they're around Jews who are so inspired. I would say that to some extent this has become difficult because of our own limitations, and we're poorer for it, and the Balei Tshuva are poorer for it. Do you think it became more difficult because the later generations of Balei Tshuva were older when they joined in, so no longer could they join Beis Rivka? They needed a post-seminary or a seminary experience. Could they have gotten to Beis Rivka Seminary even at 27 or 28? First of all, I don't necessarily think that the time when people did Shuva determines the age at which they joined. For boys, this is much less of a problem because the boys tend to learn older and the structure of the learning is not so classroom-based. So if a man who's 40 is learning with a boy who's 20, it's not that big an issue because it's a study partnership. It's two people studying together. Maybe. I personally feel that it was a lack of acceptance. It was a lack of sincerity. You see, the Rebbe wanted every Lavavach to be him, which means that we should be completely dedicated to embracing the Baal and bring them into our homes. And uh, some were, and some were not. For some it was easier, for some it was more difficult, for all kinds of reasons. I think the end game was that uh, the people who were directly involved in the Baal movement, that means the rabbis and the rebbitsons, just felt that it was a great idea, but it was just not a practical one. Um, it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. I know that it's unfortunate because I watched the evolution I think today, for example, if you had a sprinkling of the children in our yeshivas, the traditional boys and girls would be much more inspired simply seeing people who are so inspired to, to learn Torah and do mitzvahs. But with rare exception, there are exceptions. There are boys who join the regular yeshivas, and there are girls who join the regular schools, particularly if they become from at a very young age. Uh, it doesn't work. I'm curious to ask, because I think your answer beautifully explain why the Rebbe wouldn't single Balichuva out or address them publicly as a group. But I wonder what your impression is in terms of private guidance, meetings with Balichuva, individuals who might have had specific issues that are perhaps not unique to, but especially common among or difficult for Balichuva to handle. Did the Rebbe give a particular kind of guidance or message to those who were building a life inside the Anash community, but not children of Hasidim themselves. As a rule, the Rebbe gave personal advice, period. And the advice that you got from the Rebbe was often based on the advice that you sought, based on the questions that you asked. Many people, for various reasons, were either embarrassed or afraid or not clear enough to come forward and ask the Rebbe direct questions. But if you asked the Rebbe a direct question, you got a direct answer, and it was simply a reflection of who you were. In other words, the Rebbe's perspective is so pristine that I don't even think in his own mind there was an issue. You know, FFB is from, from birth, so-called Anash. They got stuff, you know, and you, one thing you didn't do is lie to the Rebbe. You know, you could lie to me, you could lie to you, you could lie to your neighbor. You didn't lie to the Rebbe. So the Rebbe got the straight story, and you can almost say that every chassid went into the Rebbe as a Baal Tshuva. You didn't go in and put on your pretty face. You went in and were honest. And you were addressed and responded to with that measure of honesty. The Rebbe was extremely individual. And his advice was very, very sensitive and very, very wise and very, very practical. I, I Just a little anecdote of a, a person who went into the Rebbe and told the Rebbe, you taught me how to stand or fly. Now teach me how to sit down. And the Rebbe spent 45 minutes with him, helping him figure out how to integrate his tshuva into regular living it was very important to the Rebbe. And at some point, it became impossible for the Rebbe to meet people in private. So he would continue answering people's questions 
in writing, but the Rebbe very much depended on us, the Chesidim, the Mashpiyim, and the Bali Tshuva from the earlier generations, you know, from the 60s and the early 70s, when the Rebbe did meet people in private, to compensate for his lack of availability to the younger generations of Bali Tshuva, and it's true to this very day. One of the questions we've we've asked ourselves and others is, where is all of this advice and guidance, whether it's from the Rebbe or from the Bali Tshuva themselves, where can we find it? Why doesn't it exist in one book somewhere in a Sefer? Well, that's a great question. But if you go to Jem and you watch their encounters, there are scores of Baile Tshuva telling their stories. You know, when you watch people describe their meetings with the Rebbe, you forget that they're Baile Tshuva. I'm telling you, the Rebbe's angle to people was so transcendent that you don't realize to what extent the interviews of Jem are being done to people who are Baile Tshuva. Go back and watch many interviews, and you'll see example after example after example of people who were joining the community or who was contemplating joining the community, and the Rebbe addresses them very individually, very, very personally. But it, somehow it was so uplifting that you don't always hear the extent of the struggle. But there are so many examples of that. You want a record? Check it out. Go to Gem. I don't know how you access their archive, but watch the My Encounters. There's probably a hundred or more of meetings between the Rebbe and Bali Tshuva, and the Rebbe is giving them advice, teaching them how to live their lives, how to integrate into the mainstream of the community, how to sustain, sustain themselves as Jewish people. There's so much of it. And maybe it's a good idea to compile it as a Baal Tshuva handbook, you know, as common sense advice. You know, people talk about how holy the Rebbe is and how many miracles he performed. But people don't know that for the first 25 years of his leadership, when the Rebbe met people in private, most of what he dispensed was poshit, common sense wisdom. He was talking to a generation of Jews who had come from the Holocaust and come from the Nazis. You didn't have to be a Balchova to be confused and broken, trust me. And the Rebbe gave each person time and wisdom of life. Part of the tragedy is that not enough of this recorded because nobody, we don't seem to appreciate just how valuable it is. But there's so much of that, so much. There's thousands of hours of the Rebbe's time where the Rebbe sat and gave people common sense advice, literally common sense advice. And if you can get hold of the first generation of Ali Chuba, that means the people who are from, from the 60s and 70s and get a hold of their the raw footage of their interviews from Jem, you got hours of it. Now, Jem puts up three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, but each one of those people spoke for two or three hours. There's so much, if you know how to compile it, it's a project maybe you should consider pursuing. Find a Balchuva on a gem, yeah. get a hold of him and say, can I get the whole video? Because that wisdom is really important. And that's what it is. It's teaching people how to live as Jews. Yeah. I don't know if the Balichuva of the 60s and 70s had this, but you do hear stories later on about dysfunction and Balichuva who don't fit in and their kids who are quote-unquote second-class citizens. Do you think it was because they weren't able to get the Rebbe's advice that they had this difficulty integrating? And what advice would you give based on your learning to help people who are just not fitting in and not functioning to really fully step into from life? You see, dysfunction is not a Balchuva property. There is a great increase in social dysfunction across the board. Balchuva, FFB... There are many reasons why there's a huge increase in dysfunction. Some people say it's the physical lack of the Rebbe's presence, which responds with dysfunction. Others will say, and I'm one of those others, that the world has become so much crazier than it was. 
that uh, the dysfunction has seeped into our community. You have kids raising the best of homes who are the same problem that Balichuva have in literally figuring out how to be married and how to bring children into this world and how to raise them. Things that 50 years ago, whether you were from or not from, you went to public school, you, you, you got a traditional education. You can't send a kid to a public school today. They're, they're going to be raised with madness. They're going to be raised with ideas that are such distortions of what humanity is. So this isn't a Balichuva issue. It's a generational issue. I would agree with you that Balichuva, because they're coming from that world, would probably suffer from these ills on a higher percentage. But by no means is this a Balichuva issue. This is a generational issue where parents don't have a proper and a balanced philosophy about child rearing. It's upsetting. It's tragic. And uh, some of them don't have that sense because they themselves didn't get it. And others don't have that sense because they're rebelling against the lives that they were given or because they felt that the way they were raised was too punitive and too draconian, whatever the case is. And they don't have a good philosophy of childbearing. And if you don't raise your children, you're going to have dysfunction. Mm -hmm. I have students close to 35 years. And when I first started out as a teacher, I had students who are now my friends who were the children of Bailey children. And they would tell me that when they went to our schools, they felt second class. And then a few years later, those same students came back to me and said, you know, my brothers, my younger brothers, my younger sisters told me that they don't feel that anymore. It was a long time ago. Lubavitch became so pluralistic, became such a integrated community or a more even distribution of so-called Anash versus Balichuva. That if you go into our schools, you will never be able to tell who's the child of the Balchuva, who's the child of the member of Anash. Not in terms of his academics, not in terms of his Hasidishkeit, and not in terms of his social standing. So to answer your question directly, from my perspective, and I could be wrong, the problem you described of them feeling second class was far truer, at least in their own minds. And these are my kids, my students, 40 years ago and 30 years ago than it is today. The dysfunction that they feel now is not because they're Balichuva, it's because they're dysfunction. And the dysfunction is not uh, specific to one demographic or another at all. One dynamic that we talk about a lot is how issues that everyone struggles with to some extent, whether it's shell bias or emotional issues, mental health, financial stress, fitting into a community, those aren't only issues that affect Balichuva, but because Balichuva make this great transition in life and sometimes feel probably wrongly that they have to sever ties with the past, with their own family members, with their friends, with a part of themselves. Sometimes those issues can take on a, you know, a greater life of their own or not have the same sort of support structure to keep them in place. And so I'm wondering whether you ever saw or understood the Rebbe to respond to those sorts of issues, the structural support issues of Bali Chiva who didn't have the kind of intergenerational family behind them in Crown Heights or wherever they lived to help them accommodate to life's challenges. First of all, I agree with what you said, and I would take it one step further. It's not only that a lot of them choose to dissociate from their so-called former families, which is a big tragedy, but because very, very often especially as time passes, in other words, they get closer and closer to today, these children are not raised in normal secular homes. Raising a child is raising a child. 
you know, teaching him decency, teaching him loyalty, responsibility, fidelity, honesty. If you grew up in a secular home, but there's a husband, a father, and a mother who love each other and respect each other and impart values about relationships, that those lessons apply in a firm community as they would apply any place else. And by the children from that background will have a far easier time integrating. So in other words, I don't only think it's because they're divorcing their past, it's because there isn't a past to fall back on. There's no question that the hardest part of being a Baal Chuvah is not having family. There's no question about it. The hardest thing is that you do everything yourself. My wife had a baby. She went to stay with her mother. If you're a Baal Chuvah couple, unless you have special, special parents, you're on your own. And this is the hardest thing. I remember speaking to a man many, many years ago who told me we became from, we didn't have our own family, so we created an unofficial family, meaning to say that because they had gone to yeshiva together, Mithadara Torah and Machon Chana, the children were cousins, not biologically, but socially because they were part of the same generation of Balei Tshuva. As I said to you in my introduction, I cannot candidly, honestly tell you that I know of a case where the Rebbe addressed this question. My understanding is that the Rebbe expected us to embrace the Balei Tshuva, incorporate them in our community and make it our business to help them figure these things out. A couple that gets married doesn't have parents, needs to be adopted by a local family. And everything has to be taught. How to make a kosher kitchen, how to prepare meals for many people, how to balance uh, laundry and meals and keeping the house clean and looking after the children. I mean, the burdens of a from life are extraordinary. There's so much more that you need to do. And to figure all of that out, you need wisdom and practical advice, how you build a home, how you establish a relationship with your wife, how you raise children. And then there are Bali Chova, for whatever reasons, who are, forgive me for using this word, who are orphaned. And it's very difficult. It's tragic. It's very, very difficult for them. They need to ask for help. And if they find a couple, a family, that takes a liking to them, that's prepared to sort of include them as a as a surrogate child, they should take that opportunity. They shouldn't feel like they're intruding on other people. They shouldn't feel like other people are patronizing them. Everybody needs support. And Bali Tshuva, in many cases, don't have it. It's the hardest part of being a Baal Tshuva. But in the perfect Crown Heights, and in the perfect New Haven, every Baal Tshuva couple is very lovingly and tenderly and without condescension embraced by a family, perhaps a family whose children are already grown, and they literally teach them how to build a Jewish life. It was that way in the beginning. I can tell you that as a fact. It was that way in the beginning. My wife's grandmother, whose name was Henya Shusterman, the number of Bali Tshuva that came through her home, and she literally raised young couples, one after another after another, and she taught them on the woman's end how to, how to be Bali Tshuva, how to live. Um, my parents' home was open as a child. So many people came through, and many of the people who came through were, they became a part of our extended family, but there's a need for more. There's a need for a lot more of that. Helping them get off the ground and being there when they run into pitfalls in school and in PTA and with the principals and with tuition and with Panasa and with Shalom Bias. This is what the Rebbe wants. He never told me, but there's no doubt in my mind, this is how the Rebbe sees it. We have definitely been the beneficiaries of the Shusterman legacy, both in your home and also through your relatives, the Graviches. 
the tragedy is many people are afraid to solicit it they're afraid to ask for it and it's important if a Altruva couple feels abandoned they need to find just need one fa- one family that's all it is and in the cases where this works the senior couple that embraces this they're like a Zayd and a Baba to the Eneklach it's it's a very real possibility and it can be done so tastefully and so kindly and so generously if the people involved are mentioned you want to select the FFB that you feel comfortable with to help you uh, figure life out you know you've been in different homes if, if there's a home that you visit that you like become repeat guests when when there there is discussions be candid and allow that relationship to develop oftentimes the FFBs don't want to be that generous but and then that hurts that hurts terribly when you open yourself up and you're vulnerable and then you get pushed back but when you see a family that's prepared to give of themselves more than you take it the FFBs shouldn't be making this decision the Balichubas are making this decision what would you say to those the Balichuba who've been orphaned so to speak and now they're starting to look outside of Chabad because they feel well if yeshiva and seminary they're not taking care of me anymore and I can't find the right people. Maybe this isn't the right path of Judaism for me. Maybe I have to look elsewhere. Well, it is a, it's a possibility. It, it really is a possibility. I mean, maybe that's not the answer you're expecting me to give, but it's got to work. It has to work. And if Chabad doesn't work for you, there's probably more factors than this. If you can find a community that embraces you, there's a rabbi that understands you and gives you the time of day and the community is supportive and the schools are supportive absolutely go there I believe above all else that everybody including about Shuvah needs one philosophy of life if you choose to join a different community you really need to integrate in that community you can't be a nasher you know as an individual as an intellectual you can study this and study that and study other things but as a philosophy of life you need to belong to a community if you find a community that works for you then that's absolutely where you should go so it's the, my, my most important statement is you have to choose one path and make it work for you. But I do believe that there's many places, maybe not in New York, but in many places, Crown Heights is a mix of the best in the world and the most difficult. It's very hard. Crown Heights is a very, very hard place. If you make it here, it's an incredible place to raise children. If it doesn't work for you, there are smaller communities. You can move to Chicago. In within Chabad, you can move to New Haven. A lot of people are moving to New Haven. You can move to Houston, Texas. You can move to Atlanta. There's many places where people are now moving. Philadelphia is a beautiful community. A lot of Balichuva are moving there. It's a small, with a beautiful school system. And there are other places. I mean, I don't, I don't want to advertise one over the other because I can get into trouble. A, why am I favorite one <laughs> the B? We have enough kids in our school. We don't need any more, you know. But there are places that people could move to find communities. There's a in uh, Pennsylvania. Kingston, yeah? It's got several hundred families of Manash. There's a boys' school and a girls' school. You can move there. You can have support. Uh, you can move to the five towns. People are moving to different places because they want to belong to a community. They want to be supported by a rabbi and by a Rebbitson and these other things. It has to work for you. I think there is so much within Chabad if people seek properly. And when I was growing up as a child, I remember that the best of the Bali children that I knew you're talking now 1970s, 45 years ago, emigrated to Israel. They felt that in Israel, where the spoken language is Hebrew, their children are going to have an easier time integrating. And it's true. It's simply true. They moved to Israel and they, their children are 
indistinguished members of the community. Hebrew is their first language. They didn't struggle with the difficulty of language in school because their parents couldn't help them with homework because it was the spoken tongue and so on and so forth. And this was a big sin, you know, they're leaving the Rebbe to go to Eretz Yisrael. And they didn't do it for Shlichas. They did it because they felt that's the best way they can make their Jewish life work. The one thing you're not allowed to do is stay where you are and not find community and support and say, I'm an orphan. You need to take steps to make it work for you. You can't just accept the fact that you're in a large community, and I'm sorry to use these words, nobody sees you. I'm going to tell you a really, really blasphemous thing, a terribly sinful thing, but, but I observed this with my own eyes. The best place for about children, especially if they became Bali children older, to raise their children is in the Chabad house where they were made from. Wow. Yeah. Because nobody is going to look after them the way that Rabbi Robinson will. The Shliach who made them from is their father. Maybe they won't be as from, but their children are going to get the best chance at not feeling abandoned. And they move to the big city and nobody knows them and they just expect this community to embrace them. It doesn't work, it doesn't work that way. You have to assert yourself. You need to take steps to be noticed and to become part of a community. And these are very sensitive issues, but they're incredibly important. And I'm trying to be candid because I guess that's the point of this interview that I should be candid. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanted to come back to your point about the Rebbe's wish that every family in Crown Heights, and I take it every family everywhere, whether an Anash family or a Balchiva family, would take a new Balchiva couple under their wing. I, I, I didn't say that the Rebbe said it. I, I said that it's in the spirit of the Rebbe. The Rebbe would complain to us when he saw neglect. He felt that it was our responsibility, but he never said it in precisely those words. It's very important if we're quoting the Rebbe, we have to quote, we cannot exaggerate what the Rebbe said, but this is the spirit of it. Right. There's no question that's the spirit, but he never said it in this many words. Do you know why he wouldn't? I don't think the Rebbe ever identified the Balchuva community publicly as a separate demographic, ever, because it went against his basic philosophy. If people were neglected, he would cry, he would scream and say, what's this? But he would never identify them at Balchuva, he would just send for them people who need support and help. I was wondering how you'd respond to a family that says, you know, look, it's hard enough as it is to be from today, to raise from children today, for all the reasons you've mentioned, the societal challenges, the financial stress, and some people didn't choose to go on shluchas. How would you respond to them if they said, we feel it's just one too many things to ask that we would make our own house into a community Chabad house? Oh, the answer to that question is there are enough people whose children are out of the house. There are enough people who are in a position to do this without extra stress. I mean, I'm a teacher. My wife's a teacher, so we always had people over. But trust me, there are so many. In New Haven, there are enough seniors who, if they were mobilized, who, if they were encouraged, would do it. And they would do it tastefully and tactfully. It's simply a question of, of a shatchan, of somebody very, it's been done very secret, very respectfully, very tactfully, organize it. I know Balichuva who grew up in our home. The 14-year-old boy came from out of town. Every time he came, he stayed in our house. You know, my parents walked him to the chuppah, didn't walk him to the chuppah, but literally raised them, one, two, three, four, five. And of course, they're literally, they're, they're children. In, in their way, and they feel that way towards my parents. And my parents were very special, but they were unique. 
They weren't unique. And that little wisdom from somebody who understands how it, the system works will save them such extraordinary heartache and most importantly, such extraordinary suffering of their children. For the Belchuva side, they have to allow it to happen. From the Anash side, they have to take responsibility. And from the Shatchan side, they have to be unbelievably sensitive, not to make anybody feel like they're being put in a, a position of being inferior. Do you feel that the community learned lessons from the challenges faced by the earlier waves of Bali Chuva? It's very hard for me to answer that question. I don't know. The community has become more accepting of Bali Chuva. The community has become less condescending. To make a shidduch today with the children of Bali Chuva is not even an issue. Not at all. For a from boy or girl to marry a Bali Chuva is almost a non-issue. So in this way, we've learned lessons. But in terms of concerning ourselves with them, I think it was individuals who did it then and it's individuals who are doing it now. There's a lot of individuals, but that's what it is. It's people who are real Lubavitchers, who know what the Rebbe is about, and they're prepared to open their hearts and their homes and include these people in their families. Some people got it, some people don't got it. It's just the way it is. And I don't know if any lessons were learned as far as that's concerned. In other words, it's not like people who 50 years ago thought it was a bad idea, today think it's a good idea. I think it's individual. It was individual then, it's individual now. You have to remember, if you're bringing about children into your home, your role is to teach them how to be Jewish, not how to be chilled. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's You yourself have to represent Yiddishkeit in a wholesome way, in a way that this is the most important thing for you. What advice would you give to people today who are stepping into that role and hosting Bali Chuva? What kinds of things should you talk about at the Shabbos table? What questions should you ask? Should you step in if you feel like there's something amiss or stand back and you know give someone distance and time? Do you have any advice for someone in that situation? Well, every question like that is entirely individual. The most important thing is to be generous and kind and not make that person feel like you're doing him a favor. You really need to do this with your whole heart. I was reading Rabbi Sarabransky was the Rebbe Shliach from 1949 to Australia. He was a tzaddik. He was Mamish, a very big chosset. He was a, a chosset from Lubavitch. And the Balichuva started coming around. And a man told me that he knocked on his door and he said, can I talk to you? He said, sure. He says, I'm sorry, I'm wasting your time. He says, no, no, no. Every minute you spend with me, you're giving me more time. Mm. And he spent with him several hours talking about what he was learning. And, and then when the man was leaving, he apologized again. He says, every minute you spend with me, it gives me more time. He meant it. That's the issue. The people who do this have to be doing it with such generosity. And you, you're you dealing with adult people with their own minds, and you cannot make them feel like a dependent class. That's the most important message you could give to the members of Anash. Now, in terms of Mixing in, it, it all depends on what the people you're involved with are prepared to hear. The truth is, they should mix in a lot. They should mix in constantly. But they can only do that if they, A, if they have to, if they really have seichel. And they're not just meddlers, but they're trying to help. And B, if the people they're talking to want to hear it. Because everybody needs advice. And getting married's hard. I tell my students that being married is harder than raising kids. And raising kids is very hard. Everybody needs advice. And in a perfect world... People get that advice from the people closest to themselves. You know, you go to therapy and read books, you get it from your father and your mother. If you can't get it from your biological father and your mother, you get it from your spiritual father and your mother. And the relationship should be so tender and so gentle that that advice should be able to be given 
you know, oftentimes when people mix, mix into couples problems, they exacerbate, they make them worse. They take a side and they make the fight worse. And in that case, they have no business being in this business. You know, the role of the support is to defuse these kinds of situations. But if you have that much seichel, you absolutely should mix in. But you can only mix in if you're certain that the people you're trying to help want you to mix in. Otherwise, you need to back off. So every case is different. And the Balei should be able to take that counsel on advisement, be able to think about it. and It, it works. I'm telling you, there's many examples of where Balei learn the traditional values of home and family from people that they're close to. And they do as well or better as the people who taught them because they allow themselves to learn those lessons. And that's what this is. This is life. I just want to go back to my my previous question. Do you think that the Baal Tshuva community has learned from the challenges that the earlier Baal Tshuva made? And if so, is there sort of an oral tradition that's been passed down? And where, you know, where can we access all this wisdom of the people who have already done all the things that we're about to step into on our own journey? Well, you have to find them, right? The Baal Tshuva who have been here for 50 years exist, uh, and they're alive. You, you may not even know who they are, Right. And you can go and seek their counsel. I would say the biggest change in our community is that we've become a far more modern community across the board. And this is very confusing to Bali Chuva because they're making so many sacrifices to become from. And they're getting so many different messages because there's so many different standards. In the 70s, there were not that many standards. It was simpler. The from community was simpler. And uh, the people were very devout. And you joined this community and you became devout like them. This is very confusing to Bali Chuva. It's very hard. So talking about learning lessons, these are new problems. These are new challenges. But you're asking about seeking advice in the first generation of Bali Chuva. Would you know that Mrs. Pape and Rabbi Pape are Bali Chuva? Would it cross your mind? Well, there's a resource and there are scores of them of that generation who still had Yechidus with the Rebbe, they're alive and well, and they're prepared to give counsel if you'll ask. You know, I don't have to say names of people on this forum, but there are so many people who've been through that journey who would be happy to assist. And if you can organize this and create some kind of a, a manual or a guide, they'll be incredibly helpful. We've lived out of town our whole marriage. We didn't have that chance to meet the, the BTs of Crown Heights. Yeah, but, but you got plenty of BTs where you are. Trust me. Yeah, no, it's true. We we actually started something amongst the women to meet, but yeah, maybe we can encourage more people to do that. And the point is to gather this wisdom from the earlier generation. There's a man I know who I just love him. I, I've known him since my childhood. Him and his wife sort of have lived their own life. They're not really part of any community, and their children are grown and married, and now they have grandchildren. And I was at a bar mitzvah of one of his grandchildren. And all of his sons came with all of their children. And I turned to him and said, your grandchildren have cousins. Mm. And he almost cried. You know how hard it was for him? Mm. How hard it was for his children? He's a very beautiful person. He's so focused on Yiddishkeit. He's, he became from for a reason and he didn't forget that. And he tried to communicate that to his children. But he was very alone. And his children's children are not alone. They have each other. And that's how this program is supposed to work. In closing, I want to ask you a question we ask all of our guests, which is, what's the top piece of advice that you'd like to give to every Balchova living today? This is not, it's advice that I wouldn't only give to Balchova. It's advice that I would give to everybody in all facets of life. 
I'm only going to say the positive. I'm not going to say the negative. I think the negative <laughs> is self-explanatory, so I'm just going to skip it. A Jewish home is supposed to be a normal, orderly, predictable, peaceful place. A Jewish school is supposed to be a normal, orderly, peaceful place. And this is what you want to create. Ra-ra is not a way of life. Harmony and peace, cleanliness, schedule, order. This is how people live. Now, if you grew up as an only child, or if you grew up with one parent, you don't know those values. And when you get married, it becomes very, very difficult to create values that are not part of your psychological DNA. But you need to work very hard together with your partner in creating your home to be peaceful. The kids go to sleep on time. They get up on time. Not everybody is the good housekeeping, but the home has to be clean and orderly. And things have to have a place. And there has to be respect. Normal, 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 normal. All the passion and the holiness of Hasidus is effective and sustainable on that foundation. And I think it's the most important piece of advice you can tell anybody. Getting married... It's not about the excitement. It's about the consistency and the order. In that environment, there's peace, there's security, and people can grow up and become people themselves. And be very careful not to view your way of life as a chassid, as hyper or hysterical, because in yeshiva, that was the message you got. If you got that message in yeshiva, it was wrong there also. But in yeshiva, there's room for it. But a home and a classroom for little children is not about Shuva Yeshiva. It's not. And another piece of advice that I would offer, I want to remind every Balchuva who's raising children that there are two of you. There's him and her. And you need to spend whatever time needed to figure these things out. You have to talk them over and make a plan. And when one has a strength that the other one has, in that area, they take the lead. And the other one has a strength that the former doesn't have. In that area, that you have to work to spend the time Obviously, the most important thing in a marriage is becoming a couple. You know, the cliche is you can't just love each other, you have to actually like each other. You have to work together. And if you disagree, you have to work those disagreements out. Everything you do in your married life, especially as it relates to your children, has to be done together. Because two people carrying this burden doesn't lighten the load by half. It lightens the load by nine-tenths. And you know, your husband is obnoxious and he's immature or your wife is controlling and she treats you like she's your mother. Those are excuses. You get past those things. And you you work as a couple towards, first of all, being a couple, giving each other, you know, one of the most important things that every couple needs to know that your wife doesn't need what you think she needs. Your wife needs what she thinks she needs. And when she asks you for something, don't decide that it means what you want it to mean. You give her what she needs. Um, your husband doesn't need what you think your husband needs. Your husband needs what he asked you for, and your role is to provide him with what he needs, not what you think he needs. But this is true on the personal relationship. And then you navigate and negotiate this slowly. It takes a very long time to become a couple. It takes years and years and years and years. And do not ever forsake that responsibility for anything, even for your children. The greatest thing any couple could do for their children is love and respect one another. It's a simple fact. And as hard as it is, if you spend the time working through whatever it is and becoming a couple, and of course, there's nothing in the world more beautiful or more meaningful or more wholesome and more lasting than love that's based on respect and mutual living. That is the foundation on which you're going to raise healthy children. 
And it, it's not a particularly religious thing. People raised in secular homes, if they had such parents, they're so far ahead of the game. You know, when they become from, they almost don't have to learn how to live. They, they, they know. Because this is basically being a human being. And unfortunately, in the culture that we live in, because family has been so destroyed, an incredibly high percentage of people never saw this. And every day, this becomes more an issue in the Trump community because we are affected by our environment. And the children who are mature have to relearn lessons you know, that their grandparents took for granted in some cases. You really have to do everything you can to be a couple. Rabbi Baltiel is a sought-after teacher and mentor and the founder of InsideChassidus.org. Thank you for joining us, Rabbi Baltiel. You're welcome. Okay, I, I just want to pledge that if you... Okay, so we, we can do this again. I, I, I feel that this is incredibly important, and you gave me opportunity to say things that I feel very deeply about, and if I have other opportunities to share, I would be very happy to uh, do this again. How's your schedule tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Not this week, my friend. I have to give my I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But we, <laughs> we really loved it, and we'd love to have you back on. There was so much. My pleasure. Yeah. Maybe we could convince Mrs. Peltiel to come on. Share oh, that would be easy. You have to call her. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Shuva Full Circle. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe. Come visit us at btcenter.org to suggest an idea or sponsor an upcoming episode. We'll see you next time on Shuva Full Circle.